All right, church, you may remain standing for the reading of God's word. Today we will be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 8, and it says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. But do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good afternoon. I hope that y'all are doing well. My name is Marco, and I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. I uh, got a couple of things for you. The first one is, if you just walked in and you didn't catch Tony, we're gonna find ourselves in Matthew chapter six. We're gonna be looking at verses five through eight. And so while you open or load your Bibles, uh, in the pews, we have these cards, and it says this giant word, it says connect on here. Man, we would love to encourage and invite you to fill one out if you are new, uh, because we'd love to hang out with you if you would allow us to. Uh, in addition to that, it's just an opportunity for us to get to pray for you. And so if you have prayer requests on there, please fill that card out, leave it in the offering box that's in the lobby or uh, with the connect desk, and one of our staff team will connect with you during the week. In addition to that, we love God's word. Therefore, we preach out of God's word, which also means we gift God's word. And so in the pews, there are these Bibles. That is our gift to you if you don't have one or you know someone that would benefit from having God's word in their hands. A couple of weeks ago, I had someone ask me, is it true? Can we really take the Bibles? You can take them. I promise that's for you. We're hooking you up. So please take one uh, and, and, and hook someone else up. Um, kind of a, a bit of a number of updates. The next one is really this giant thank you, and I, I want y'all to, to, to give them a hand to, to Alan Morales and Tony Garcia, who was just up here, who preached. Yeah. They, they preached the last four weeks and did a phenomenal job finishing and closing our time in 2 Thessalonians. Man, their faithfulness allowed me personally to, to sit under their teaching with my family uh, and at the same time uh, got, gave me the opportunity to, for my wife and I to take our son up to school in Wyoming for college. Uh, That's another story for another time. Let's dig in once more. We're going to find ourselves in Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8. And I want to begin our time with a little story, right? So you should already have your Bibles open or loaded. And so there I was, a young Christian, about 15 years ago, I'm in a community group for the first time, and it's this men's gathering, and everybody's discussing scripture and answering questions. And then we get to the part where we're gonna pray for one another. Now, at this point, I had never prayed, not to mention I'd never even prayed out loud. And so just the way it is in Christian circles, you get in this like holy circle, this holy huddle, right? Everybody's uh, giving prayer requests. We come up with pithy statements like, oh, we're gonna do a popcorn prayer or let's pray to the person to the right of us. Like no one knows who invented that. That's just something that we do. And so <clears throat> as we're doing this in the Bible study, I'm starting to like get anxious and nervous because 
I'm five people away from praying, and I've never prayed, and I've never prayed out loud, and then all of a sudden it's four people, and then it's three people, and I can see some of your faces with anxiety increasing, right? And then it's two people away, and I'm about to pray, and I have no idea what to do, and then the guy before me who is praying for me begins to talk about, or begins to pray very, very specifically. He says things like, thank you, Lord, for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for covering us in your blood. Thank you that we are washed in your blood. This is the first time I've ever heard this kind of language, and it sounds more like a cult than it does a church, and I'm tripping out, and all of this is haunting me, and it finally gets to me, and the only thing I can say is, thank you, God, for these dudes. Amen. And I look at my pastor, and I look at my pastor with my eyes very wide-eyed, and I look at him with hands like, do something. Like, I don't know what to do because I'd never really prayed for anyone, much less out loud. Maybe you can relate. I'm sure all of you could, but maybe you can relate because whether it's an experience like that or whether you've had a couple of years under your belt and following Jesus, if we can be honest for a minute, sometimes prayer is a little confusing, it's a little awkward, Sometimes it's a little complicated, or at the very least, we make it complicated. By God's grace, this is exactly why we're starting this new series on prayer. Over the next five weeks, we're going to be examining three of Jesus' prayer. We're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer, the High Priestly Prayer, and His Prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the reason we're doing this series over the summer is because my desire is for prayer to be prominent in your life and for prayer to be prominent in the life of our church. Our time isn't going to be too much of a how-to on prayer, but more of an examination on what prayer is and how God shapes us through prayer. Therefore, as we consider our text this afternoon, here's what I want you to know, here's your main idea, and it is this. Communion with God reveals our relationship to God. Communion with God reveals our relationship to God. So let me pray and we'll dig into the text together. Father, we thank you for this day where we get to gather and sing praises to your name, where we get to exalt Jesus and worship you through the Holy Spirit. Father, as we examine your word this afternoon, give us ears to listen, give us believing hearts and open souls ready to receive your truth. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Before I dive in, one last update that I just remembered because I'm watching y'all fan. Thank you so much for being patient. I know that it's warm and toasty in here. Over the next couple of days, we're gonna begin having a conversation with Valley Community on how we can help cool this sanctuary down. I get it, four o'clock, you live in the valley, I know. All right, moving on. But thank you for being patient nonetheless. All right, here we go, Matthew 6. Some of you, some of you are amazing, dare I say, prayer warriors. You're that individual that is ready to pray for anything and anyone, and I gotta say, I'm super honest, I have been discipled by you, and often I want to be more like you, because sometimes I have, and maybe you feel this way, I have or can have this complicated relationship with prayer. 
For instance, when I meet with many of you, sometimes I'll ask, how's your prayer life going? And much like the question about what are you reading in scripture, you and I always have these awkward answers like it could be better, duh, right? Like we, I get that, right? But it's a complicated relationship with prayer. And so when we bring about answers to that question, we sometimes don't wanna talk about it because it tends to bring guilt or shame or weariness because I know, and you know, that we should be praying more. We know that this is a struggle. And truthfully, it's because prayer is complicated, or I should say that we've complicated prayer, that sometimes praying feels more like something religious than it does spiritual. Perhaps to you, it feels more like discipline than devotion. Perhaps you wander in the midst of prayer Is this even effective? When I set time aside, I feel like I'm praying to a ceiling. At the start of what is known as the Lord's Prayer, it's found in Matthew 6, in addition to Luke 11, Jesus is responding to his disciples because they're asking him how to pray. And the beauty of this exchange, as we'll see, is that Jesus understands the disciples and certainly us, and he understands that we're going to run into some insecurities, we're gonna run into some questions and doubts, we're going to run into things that we're gonna make complicated. Yet at the same time, he also doesn't want us falling into complacency or ignorance, and so he begins by teaching us how not to pray. So before we dig in on now what does it look like to pray, well, let's look at the words of Jesus as he tells us how not to pray. And so in this passage, Jesus is going to provide us with two contrasts. The first consists of two categories. In verse five, and I'll read it in just a minute, In verse five, Jesus begins by assuming that we're going to pray. In fact, in this section, Jesus says repeatedly about three times, when you pray, when you pray, and when you pray. So he has this assumption that you and I are going to cultivate a praying life. Nevertheless, he assumes that we're going to cultivate communion with God over prayer, and so the first thing that he warns us against is masks in prayer. It's not a COVID thing, but if that's what you thought, cool. Here it is, verse five. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. See, a hypocrite is an individual, it's an actor who wears a mask pretending to be someone else. And that's the idea here. That the hypocrites, and though this is a reference to the religious leaders of the day, but we're talking about ourselves, that the idea here is that this is an individual that is authentically, this is gonna sound like an oxymoron, this is an individual that is authentically faking their prayer to God because their desire, their heart, is attention for themselves. You're gonna think about this, or you may think about this as we look at these contrasts, and you may think, I don't, I don't think I'm like the hypocrites. But what we're gonna see is, if we're honest, we're probably a lot more like the hypocrites than we think. 
See, the hypocrites in this context, they're individuals, they're, they're not after God in their prayer. They're not after the presence of God. They're not after the kingdom of God. See, they may be saying the right things, they may even be saying them in the right places, but their hearts are far from God. They worship with their lips, but not with their hearts, particularly in public, community group settings, when you're outside having dinner or whatever. This is something that God through the prophet Isaiah even warns against. This is Isaiah 29. Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. See, these individuals, these hypocrites, they're more about sentiment than they are substance. They're more about cultural affirmation than spiritual transformation. One of the ways in which you can tell an individual is a hypocrite and, or maybe as you assess your own heart is, do you ever have comparison in prayers? Man, I'm so glad I'm not like so-and-so. Or even in the midst of a sermon like this, you're like, you know who needs to listen to this sermon? No, you're the one that needs to listen to this sermon, I can assure you. See, this matters because, particularly when it comes to public prayers, it matters because your public prayers are only as sincere as your private prayers. Your public prayers are this reflection of your private prayers. And you're like, are you sure? Who has not been tempted to modify their prayers in public? I know I have. And here's a couple of questions so that you could diagnose. You're like, well, I don't, I don't know that I've been tempted to modify my prayers. Do you use the same language when you, uh, in, in private prayer, do you use the same language or does your language change when you're around other people? All of a sudden you're super spiritual. Right? Do you quote scripture in your private prayers as much as you do when you're around others? Because you just gotta show that you know some stuff? Do you have the same passion in private prayers as you do in public? See, what Jesus is getting at in verse five is that these individuals are more for a public posture than they are piety. Their prayers are a reflection of what they can gain, not faith. And so before I move on, let me clear this up really quickly, because I know if I stop there, many will say something like, well, you don't get it when I'm in public prayer, it's, I get really nervous, and that's, I get that. That, we're not knocking. Some of you get really nervous when it comes to community group, right? Like, how can I pray for you? And you tense up, like, I get that. That's not what we're talking about, but I get that. You might get nervous. Some of you, for instance, uh, process it differently. Like all of a sudden, like the story I shared, I'm getting anxious because all I'm doing is thinking more about what I need to pray. And oh my gosh, God, I want to pray for the prayer because I don't know what to say. And I can't process as fast as I'd like to. That I, that's understandable. I get that. But sometimes, once more, if we're honest, sometimes we're just faking it. And we're faking it for multiple reasons. We don't want to be thought of as less. We're faking it because, man, we'll listen to another Christian and another brother or another sister pray. And we're like, man, I don't sound 
anything like them. And so when I make that comparison, all I'm doing now is pumping creative juices into my language so that I'm not found out. Public prayer is a reflection of our communion with God. Therefore, those who wear masks in prayer seek public affirmation while their hearts are far from God. The second category that Jesus addresses in this contrast, so the first one was masks. The second category that he addresses are those who hunt for the magic formula in prayer. Once more, Jesus is forecasting, he's assuming that we are cultivating a heart for prayer. And so he moves from the hypocrites, the Pharisees, now to the Gentiles, and some of your translations might say pagans. You see, when we're making these comparisons, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they were deeply devoted to practice, but not piety. Prayer, in the context of prayer, they did it out of discipline, not faith. And so now Jesus introduces the Gentiles, or the pagans, and the thing about them, one of the differences that we see in verse seven is that these individuals actually think there's power in prayer. And I'll explain that because I know that sounds negatively, but I'll explain it in just a bit. Let's go to verse seven. Here it is, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. See, these individuals think there's actually power in prayer through mechanics. And I want, you to, I want you to note that their desire for prayer isn't rooted in sound theology, it's rooted in themselves. So when Jesus uses the phrase, or the words, empty phrases, the word for that is babbling. They're throwing around all sorts of language and words and phrases because they think they can bend the will of their deity to get them to do what they want. This is why he says they think that they will be heard. See, the prayers are not out of discipline or devotion. They're out of mechanics. They're trying to produce something. They're trying to pray hard. They're trying to pray loud. They're trying to pray, pray with so many different kinds of words in order for that deity to do what they want them to do. The difference here is, once more, they believe that there's power in prayer, but they believe that they need to work in order to get it. Oh, how does this connect to you and I? How many of you have, or have you ever, bought into, if I read more scripture, then God will be pleased with me, then he'll give me what I want. If I just have more passion in my prayer, then God is going to hear me. Or one of the biggest ones ever. If I just have more faith, God will answer me. God will give me what I'm asking for. And I want to pause here for a second because I want to be clear about something. Faith is associated with prayers. In fact, our prayers are, are rooted in our faith. The fact that we can come before a holy God is a testimony of our faith because of what Jesus has done for us. But there is a lie out there that says, the stronger your faith is, the more guaranteed you're, uh, you're gonna receive, the more guarantee that you will hear a yes from God. 
See, if you simply have more faith, if you have strong faith, if you have great faith, if you have deep faith, then God has to answer your prayers. And if he doesn't, it's because you didn't have enough faith. Listen, this is incredibly dangerous and destructive. There's so many people who are vulnerable to this and are beat down by the church, by spiritual leaders, by pastors, by YouTube sermons, whatever. They are beat down by this because they're just so spiritually exhausted and tapped. This lie teaches that God answers prayer solely based on the amount of faith that you possess rather than according to his will and purpose. For a minute, if we were to buy that, oh man, we've gotta have more faith, more faith, more faith, more faith than God will do. Take Jesus, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, Fast forward to the Garden of Gethsemane, comes before the Father, and what does he ask? If there's any way to redeem these people apart from the cross, if there's any way, let's do it. And the Father says no. How do you then compare that lie to that truth? How do you reconcile that? See, some of you were taught that if you hear no, it's because you don't have enough faith, which means you're not enough. Some of you have been taught that if you hear no, that means you're not loved. And that is not the, tr- that is not the case. That is not the case. Prayer isn't us working to bend the will of God to our will. Prayer is communion with with God as he changes our hearts to his will. If the Lord is giving you a no, it's not because he doesn't love you, but because he knows what's best for you as a loving father. And if any of you have held to the notion that you simply need to have more faith, and then God will give you what you want. And that's just been spiritually exhausting to you. I'm telling you, you could be released from that now. Or if you're holding to it because you just think you're such a workhorse that you could bend God's will to yours, you need to repent. God is a loving father. He is not your genie. There is no magic formula in prayer apart from the Holy Spirit residing in you. Therefore, if you're a Christian, God dwells in you. You're good. In verses five and seven, Jesus gives that contrast, the two categories, masks and magic. Well, in verses six and eight, Jesus provides us with the other side of that contrast, and that's the meaning of prayer. The meaning of prayer is simply this, communion with the Father. Consider verses six and eight. 
Jesus says. But when you pray, there's that language again. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse eight, do not be like them, referring to the Gentiles, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. The meaning of prayer is communion with the Father. As a group of us got together this week to study the text, one of the things we realized is that the meaning of prayer, being communing with the Father, is really good news, but for some it may be really challenging news. It may be challenging because when you hear that God is a father, it may be difficult for you to wrap your heart around that because of your earthly father. See, for some of you, when you hear that, that God is father, and you think about your earthly father, you think, man, that dude wasn't around. He worked all the time. Maybe he was physically present but emotionally absent. Maybe he left you and your family for reasons that are utterly devastating. Maybe he was abusive, maybe he was unloving, or simply just a bad guy. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. I can understand and relate to the difficulty in making this connection. So then how do we begin to move past that? It's like I I want to want to see God as Father, but I'm not, it's hard. It's scary. How do we move toward that? Maybe that's a better way of saying it. While we'll dig into this more next week, here's what I would begin by saying. I think it begins with a reorientation of who we look to first. If we first look at our earthly fathers and then look to God, our hearts will always bear anxiety, fear, anger, shame. We will always be off balance because in looking at our earthly fathers first, we will only see God as a replica rather than our original good and gracious father. So it's like, man, how do I begin to move toward that? How do I begin to move towards God as father? The question would be, who do you look to first? Do you look to God or do you look to your earthly father? And some of you have had wonderful dads and praise God for that. That is a shadow. That is a a little slice of what a heavenly father is like. But for many others who had uh, some trouble and and, and this, this is something that's just difficult, that would be the thing I would say. Who do you look to first? In verses six and eight that I just read, Jesus provides us with, with the fatherhood of God. And so we're just gonna explore that for a minute. And the the fatherhood of God uh, has three things. One of them that Jesus shows here, one is that he is relational. He says, pray to your father who is in secret. Right, go into the, let me go back and reread part of it. When you pray, go in your room, shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. There's something absolutely special about being alone with God the Father. Having communion with him in a way, check it, in a way that is not based on tasks, but relationship. 
See, in having one-on-one time with God, there are no tasks. It's just relational, and it's uh, being present. And I understand that that may be one of the most difficult things for you. Because you're so used to having that relationship centered around task. I always got to do the things rather than just be. And when I just am, it's awkward. I actually realize that I don't know God apart from tasks. And so rather than face it and cultivate communion, we tend to run away because we realize that in this communion, in this time with God, it's not only, it's going to reveal how relationally distant we are from him. However, what Jesus wants us to know is that the Father is a good dad and he knows you and he wants to spend time with you. He wants to spend time with his children. A good dad wants to be with his kids. For him, in this time, it's not about information, it's about relationship. And so once more, how do you begin to move toward that? How do you begin to move toward this relationship with God the Father? Here's the simple answer, and I don't say this just flippantly, here's the simple answer. We do it daily, every single day. For some of you, that might mean you start five minutes. I'm not talking about your trip on your way to work, and I knock that sometimes, I get it, it's funny, haha. But what I'm also saying is, like, yes, let's try not to do that and just cater it to that, let's actually set aside intentional time with the Father. What does that look like for you? Is it the first five minutes of your day? Is it the first 15 minutes of your day? Can you knock out or not? What is it that you can start with that's faithful and daily? Because that's, here's the thing, that's where you're gonna get to know him. That's where you're gonna get to know him. Like, books on prayer are great, but it's not a good replacement for scripture, and so, That's how it's going to start. And as you do that daily, you bring all of that to him. You bring fears, you bring doubt, you bring praises, you bring it all. It's not like he done, no. And he's got all the time in the world for you. He's not gonna rush you. He's not gonna say, okay, let's go, because I gotta answer some more prayers at 8.05, right? Like, he's got all the time in the world. You. Listen, running from communion with God because of discomfort is really just stiff arming grace. When you do that, when you and I do that, when we stiff arm grace, what we're saying is we got to figure it out before we can go to Him. No, it's not about information, but relationship. The second aspect to the fatherhood of God is that it is rewarding. So Jesus says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. This doesn't mean that he's going to say yes to everything, but it does mean that he responds to you. He doesn't just listen, but he responds. So he's not frustrated or irritated or absent or bored by you. Rather, he delights in responding and feels for you in those responses because you're coming forward in vulnerability, you're coming forward in dependence, and so what does he do as you approach him? He begins to change your heart. This is one that I think we ought to spend some time 
evaluate, in evaluating ourselves, because here it is, some of you don't realize how mad you really are just because God has said no. Ironically, some of you are so mad because God actually said yes. In these responses, look, God isn't the one that did us wrong. Meeting with an individual weeks ago, and as we're walking through the conversation on prayer, they go on to share that Man, they had these specific prayer requests for them and their family a couple years ago, and man, God wasn't answering, and they kept pleading, and they kept going, and then over the last couple, uh, over the last year or so, God has answered, and they're angry. Some of you ride that wave. What is it that you're angry at? that God responded to you, isn't that the thing you wanted? That God was at work, isn't that the thing you've wanted to see? Were you just angry because you didn't get what you want, how you wanted, when you wanted it? So we're just throwing a fit, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Author Paul Miller says this about prayer. As you develop your relationship with your heavenly father, you will change. You'll discover nets of cynicism, pride, and self-will in your heart. You will be unmasked. None of us like being exposed. We have an allergic reaction to dependency, but this is the state of the heart most necessary for a praying life. A needy heart is a praying heart. Dependency is the heartbeat of prayer. And so when we come forward vulnerable and dependent, God responds. Third one is in prayer, we have an attentive father. Verse eight, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This is a good dad, right? Especially some of you fathers, we have kids, right? You kind of already know what your kids are gonna come and ask you for. You already know what they want before they even say something. Right, it's one of the best things. I remember uh, when Seth was younger, he would walk outside my office and I have this little window and I could see him pacing, right? Because he, he just had this thing that he wanted to ask me and be like, what's up guy, what do you need? <laughs> right? Uh, he would pace, you know that they want to share, share something, they want to ask something, they want to tell you something and what they want more than an answer though, that's a good thing, even though they may not like it, what they want is your attention. And here we see that God is an attentive Father, he listens to you, not as an intellectual or a skilled therapist, but as a father. He knows everything. He hasn't taken his sight off of you. He knows what you need, he knows what you want, and he'll give you all the time in the world. He'll do what is best for you, whether that's increasing your dependence, whether that's responding or changing your heart and working in you, he'll do it. He'll do what is best for you. This one philosopher went on to say, prayer doesn't change God, but changes him who prays. The meaning of prayer is found in communion with the Father who is relational, who rewards, 
and is attentive. Prayer may be intimidating and it may be complicated, or we may get complicated, like I experienced as a young Christian, but it doesn't have to be. Prayer is not simply a discipline that we are to cultivate. Prayer is communion with the Father as a result of the work of Jesus for us. We can commune with God. We can commune with the God of the universe because of his work done for us through Jesus. You have not only been redeemed, you have also been reconciled to the Father through the work of the Son. Our heavenly Father is a good Father. Therefore, as you cultivate prayer, to use the language of Jesus, as you pray to the Father, know that this gift is rooted in your relationship with God. So Christian, how's your prayer life going? If the meaning of prayer is communion with God and communion with God reveals our relationship to God, how are you doing? What kind of prayers have you been putting on the table? Have you been wearing a mask or have you been trying out some magic? What must you confess before him? What praises do you have to him? I need to, I hate that I desire control, I wanna be dependent, then I dare you to pray that today. And so let me invite you to confess, to, to sing praises, let me invite you to repent. And if you're not a Christian, thank you so much for hanging out with us this afternoon in this very warm and toasty building. Love that you're here because you didn't have to be, and yet it is no coincidence that you are here hanging with us. But if you do not know God, I want you to know a couple of things. First, God hears the prayers of those who don't know him. In other words, it's not like he doesn't know that maybe you've tried to reach out. However, he is all powerful. However, he does not and will not respond except to the prayer of repentance. See, God has made a way for you to know him personally, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is ready to pardon all who turn to him in faith and repentance so that you too would cultivate communion with the Father. So I invite you to repent. Church, communion with God reveals our relationship to God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you with feelings of joy and conviction. We come to you with conviction because when we examine your word and consider our prayer life, some of us realize, some of us realize that we are relationally distant from you and we simply don't want to admit it. In fact, right now, some of us want to run away. But by your spirit, keep us. By your grace, be at work in us right now. 
Father, we confess our sin to you, whether it's a lack of dependence, a lack of prayer, or lies that we have chosen to believe. We confess it all to you. Would you forgive us and comfort us with your grace? Father, shape our hearts to your will. Work in us to cultivate our relationship with you by spending time with you in your word. Fill our hearts with the sweet taste of scripture. 